Welcome, everyone, to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. I'm your host, Dan Allen, and I serve as the Associate Director of Spirituality and Service. It is an honor to be joined by this week's guest, Danielle Rose Hesley, a 2002 graduate of Notre Dame and a well-known musician. Danielle joins us remotely from her home, and in addition to discussing her life and story with us today, has kindly allowed us to share one of her newest songs, Mamastery, at the end of the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Danielle. Thank you so much, Dan. Really pleased to have you with us. Our typical way of starting is just by having the guests introduce themselves to the audience. So if you would tell us some things about yourself. Sure. So I was so blessed to attend Notre Dame and study music and theology as a double major for my undergrad. And then following graduation was on the road full time as a music missionary with music that I wrote to try to give witness and story and song to Christ's love in my life. So I was on the road for from 02 until 07 when I entered a community of Franciscan convent and discerned a vocation there for about two and a half years, but then discerned I was not called to make vows in the convent. There's so many details for that whole process, but <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> um, but this is kind of a fast word snippet. So I spent time in the convent and then following that period of discernment, then came to discover and embrace that the desires that I had put in God's hands for marriage and motherhood that I thought would be espousing myself to Christ and being a spiritual mother, that in fact, those desires he had planted there in the first place were in fact the very ones he intended for me to live out for my love for him as becoming a wife and mother. And so I was blessed to meet my husband, Mitchell, when I was working on an album in Los Angeles with with a producer there. And we met each other and we were engaged like four months later and got married like six months after that yeah. on my 33rd baptismal anniversary. <laughs> I was 33 and it was Easter Saturday, uh, the Vigil of Divine Mercy. And we've been blessed now with three children and praying that God will grow our family more. Our children are five, three, and one, Agnes, Genevieve, and Joseph with an F. And just discovering the beauty of life here in what I call the monastery. So <laughs> trying to live out my life for God Absolutely. in the way he's created me to, to love and serve him. What was your family life growing up that gave you some hints towards what your own life has now become? Oh my goodness, I'm so blessed. So my father and mother, their their names are Dan and Rosie. That's how I got my name, Danielle Rose. Uh-huh. And they are, my mother, I describe her as the sweetest woman in the world. And she is, and people think I exaggerate. And then they meet her and they believe me. <laughs> and then my father is a big, giant goofball with a tender heart. He cries at like every movie, including <laughs> Disney cartoons. And he is a tall man with big, giant feet. And he wears jingle bells um, on, his, on his shoes during Advent. So... They are so precious and they both have a beautiful gift of faith. And so I was very blessed to grow up in a home where where faith was the norm. And and yet they they really did give me the freedom to discover and embrace on my own the gift of faith, which I've always been kind of a fighter. And so I don't like to live things without actually meaning them. And so it wasn't just this sort of simple journey for me with faith. It was really a like lots of questions and deep, deep kind of digging and asking. And the time at Notre Dame was very much one in which I began to actually find 
satiating answers to the intellectual questions that I had been asking in high school that no one seemed to be able to answer at confirmation class. Mm-hmm. And so it's been, I, I've been so blessed. They are so beautiful. I have a little sister and a little brother and my little sister attended Notre Dame also. She's 10 years younger. And we all, each of the children now have been called to the vocation of marriage mm-hmm. and my parents continue to live their lives of service to Christ by loving and serving their family, extended family and the community around them. So they've been really heroic examples to me of how you joyfully live your life in lots of hidden ways, just pouring yourself out as a libation with whatever is directly surrounding you. And now as time has passed more, I continue to marvel at kind of the example that was shown to me in that. Mm -hmm. And I really do hope to become more and more like them as my life passes on, I hope that people will say, you remind me of your mother or your father, because mm. I would consider that to be a, a tremendous compliment because I think they're incredibly virtuous and heroic in how they live out their state in life. Yeah. And I'm sure as you're now experiencing parenthood, I'm sure that for them, it's such a joy to see their own children develop to the point of finding their vocations and, and living their faith. I think that's a real gift that God gives to parents who are able to to live to see that their children and grandchildren, and especially that they are making those priorities. So I'm sure that your life is a blessing to them as well. It's amazing how God takes one blessing that you receive and makes it a blessing for the other as well. It's like he always does that. <laughs> and certainly it's that way between parents and children when you see someone becoming the person that God's created them to be trying, you know, becoming the best version of themselves. It makes everyone's hearts come alive. It's happy bees in the, in the garden going around all the little flowers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now you have obviously a talent for music. How did your introduction to music begin? When I was five years old, my dad is an ophthalmologist And it was about 14 years of training before he had his first job Uh where there was like income coming in, you know. (laughs) And so when I was five, I started begging my parents to take violin lessons. But they, you know, my dad was at the time working like five jobs to be able to keep my mom at home with us children. Mm. So she didn't have to work too And there wasn't like an extra penny around for music lessons. There wasn't another car, the practicals. And so about two years of begging, I would beg them pretty constantly. And after that couple years had passed, they thought, maybe what if this is like really something that God's put in her heart, you know, like we we have to see if we can do something. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what was incredible is in the neighborhood where we lived, it turned out we were in, um, in the San Francisco area, it turned out that the concert master violinist for the, the San Francisco symphony lived like several blocks from us. And so we were able to walk and start doing violin oh, lessons wow. with her. And <laughs> so it was it was like God had put that seed there. And then I played violin and started doing like fiddle contests with my dad and classical violin. And so I really enjoyed doing music with my dad. He'd accompany me on the guitar. When I was 14, I really wanted to learn guitar. So my dad taught me a few chords on the guitar. And then I kind of started writing music immediately with those three chords. And then I was in like a little alternative rock band. <laughs> and my dad would, I was in high school, I was like 14 at the time but we kind of had this college following in Duluth and so my dad would come and do the sound for the concerts everywhere all these little coffee houses and clubs and whatever and and you know my life could have gone in a certain direction but God knew that I'm so thankful that there were many doors that did not open that 
God knew what was going to bring my heart. The deepest joy was going to be when that gift was offered back to him for his glory. Mm -hmm. And so when I was 17, uh, I went to go spend time in India with Mother Teresa's sisters. Mm -hmm. And how that began was my dad had studied in medical school. He had done a, a trip to India for a period of a number of months doing infectious eye disease training. And in that time, they formed a friendship with a woman who founded an orphanage in a children's hospital in Delhi, India. It turned out that my aunt godmother ended up adopting a baby from that orphanage wow. when I was 12. And so all my life, like growing up in my adolescence, I'd always dreamed of going to India. So then when I was 17, I asked my parents, could I please go over there and help our friend Manakshi with her work with the poor? And they decided to let me go. So it was right after I was confirmed, they let me go to India. Yeah. <laughs> and then that time they're serving with the poor, it, it completely transformed my my life that month there, it was a very, it was a deep process of conversion to understand that true joy came from Christ mm. and not from any of the things in the world. Mm -hmm. And that suffering was not, that Christ could be found in suffering. And so out, out of that experience, then I was given kind of the gift of the desire to be able to do music for Christ. And so I began to write songs about, about God or my relationship with God. And, and then during college, you know, high school and college continued writing and then was blessed that he opened some doors to be able to start doing that on a, a level of being able to share it with more people when there was a publishing company when I was at Notre Dame that asked if I would come and do an album with them. And so my junior spring, then I went and recorded a an album. And then after college was able to, God opened many doors just through his divine providence to, able, to be able to full-time do that, you know, mm -hmm sharing sharing music and doing concerts and retreats and whatever for for all of those years up until getting married in 2013 mm -hmm. so that was a tremendous blessing to be able to sing and hug people for my life <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i'd like to return to something you said about this you were a fighter the struggle with your faith did you find that writing music specifically for god and about god was a really important method for you in terms of taking ownership of your faith and, and finding it for yourself? Absolutely. I would say that that would be the primary reason I think God's even given me this gift. I think that the the secondary fruit or whatever fruit is is there from the music to be able to share it with others, I think is by far not the primary reason. I think that that God, with any gift that he gives to us, I really believe that he gives us that gift to draw him very much into union with himself. And and so with the music, the gift of music, it's like this very intimate way that God actually draws me to himself and helps try to conform me to his heart, to Christ's heart, and to discover like who I actually am in Christ and not like what I think I ought to be or who I want to be, but who he actually wants me to become. Mm -hmm. And so, or who he actually is, who Christ is and who God is. And so I with each song, and this continues to this day, like with each song that's written, it's it's always flows out of a, a kind of a deep question of what I'm asking in my relationship with God or something that he wants me to meditate upon to be able to to be changed into that. It's like it becomes a prayer that I the song, it's not like it's not like I arrive or something when it when it gets written. It's like it becomes it becomes a prayer that I need to pray to become. And so the primary thing is that I, I hope to be able to, that I try to receive those songs from him, be changed by his grace as it's being written, and then try to truly live out 
what I've received from him and whatever he's wanted to share with me. And, and even if that's the only thing that happens, even if it never gets shared with another person ever, then that in of itself is reason enough for it to be written is to come to know him and his love and, and who I am in him more and more. Well, and I think just having heard some of your music and, and read some of your lyrics, it really comes across that way. It's almost this intimate, deep, personal prayer journal or a diary, this contemplative effort of this conversation with God, and all of a sudden we're being let in on that. And I think that people are so moved by that because a lot of the pretense and another reason why people you know, might write music or want to perform for others is stripped away, and it's just a real privilege to be with the author, the musician, in that person's intimate conversation with God. So I, I think that's what makes, in my opinion, what makes it so inspirational. Well, thanks be to God. <laughs> I can't take credit for it. It really, it's, you can ask my parents and you can ask my husband. It is an actual miracle for me to have a thousand billion words of thoughts condensed into the form <laughs> of a song. It's like nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> so I really can't take credit for it. It's just like only God could actually do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Be like trying to fit out the whole grocery store into one cart. You're like, how is that going to happen? Yeah, That's yeah. how I feel every time a, a song is to be written. I'm like, how is that possibly going to be summarized in a song? Yeah. <laughs> I need like five journals just to think about one of these things, you know? <laughs> yeah, sometimes we get that with our faith ND writers writing for our daily gospel reflection. We say, you know, about 300 words or so. And it's like, Ooh, that's a lot. Uh, that's a, that's a tall order sometimes to yes. distill all my thoughts based on this gospel into this little, this little reflection. Yes. A little, a little snippet, a little tiny photograph of it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Now you came to Notre Dame. What was that discernment like? And give us a sense of some of your activities at Notre Dame that you think helped you grow in your faith as well as your skills as a musician? Sure. So I loved, loved studying theology. And Professor John Cavadini was the head of the theology department at that time. Mm -hmm. And he's a very holy man. Uh, he's a very humble and holy servant and very much like St. Joseph that way. And so I was so blessed uh, with each class I came to fall more and more in love with my Catholic faith. And, and you know, coming into Notre Dame, I, you know, after this experience of 17 in India, it, it wasn't this, I, I knew that, that God existed and I was, I was madly in love with God as this kind of general concept. But as far as kind of Christ and the Catholic church, it was really a journey mm. of, of deeper conversion or rediscovery or maybe discovering for the first time, like what the church, who the church really is and who Christ really is, especially blessed mother. When I was a sophomore, so I came in and I knew I wanted to study music and theology, a double major and, and the credits for the music major is a lot. So you kind of have to know from the beginning or it'd be tricky to finish yeah. in four years. So, so I knew I wanted to do that. And then sophomore fall, I studied abroad in a program called semester around the world program. It was out of St. Mary's college. It was a small group of 35 students. We traveled all around Asia and most of the time was in India. And so that experience was very life-changing for me because it was witnessing the life and culture and many religious practices of the diverse, the diversity of humanity around the world. And it led to these deep, 
pressing, urgent, uncomfortable questions about the role and the place of Christ and the church in all of the world. Mm-hmm. And and I, I remember many times in the dark there in India, I'd be at night in this little apartment where there were seven of us girls from the program sleeping. <laughs> I would go into the laundry room and I would fall on my knees in the dark and I would just say, Jesus and Mary, like, I, I don't want, if I'm going to say I'm Catholic, I want to mean it. Mm-hmm. I want to believe this is really the real deal. And I'm not going to just say it just because I have to say it. Mm-hmm. I was like, you got to show me this is real. Like, I want to know you. I want to touch you. I want to smell you. And I want to hear you. And could you please just appear to me? <laughs> <laughs> Small request, right? I mean, I was like dead yeah. serious. I would just I would just cry. I would cry in the dark, just weeping on my knees in India. I just saw 15 different world religions. Everybody's devout. Like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, God did not appear to me. He knew I would probably die. I was not ready. <laughs> but, um, but those questions were burning very deep and very like, it was. it's not comfortable to have soil uprooted to plant something deep within ourselves. It, it's painful. But then when God plants something deep, then the roots can go so much deeper. So anyway, so I came back at the end of that sophomore fall and on the eve of the new millennium, year 2000, this was, oh, this was when I was 19, I... I I went to the monastery in Duluth, Minnesota, where I grew up, and I went to their vigil for the New Year's for the millennium, and they had adoration that night. And for the first time in my life, I really spoke to Mary. I, I began to realize that if there was anyone in the world that knew Jesus the way I wanted to, like to see him and touch him and hear him, like that intimacy, that just that true knowledge... It was her. And so I I turned to her entirely and just said, would you please show me how to love him the way you love him? Will you show me to know him the way you know him? And, And so there was no vision and there was no, it was all just quiet. I think she had been waiting my whole life for me to ask that question, Mm. just sincerely from the heart to her. And so then when I asked that question, there were no kind of fireworks that happened. But what, when I came back to to Notre Dame, my spring semester of sophomore year, suddenly I found these desires quietly coming in my, in my soul that had never been there before. Like I'd always been super busy. You know, the double major, it was like, I ran an average of 21, 22, 23 credits per semester. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and and then I was in the folk choir. That was incredibly beautiful experience. And so I was always like, I don't have time. And God began to show me, no, actually, I you do have time. You just have to choose to prioritize it for me, you know. <laughs> so it's mine first. And then so then I began to have these desires to like go to confession each month and start going to daily mass and pray the rosary and these different things that had just literally just never been desires in my heart mm. before. And so mm-hmm. it began this process of falling in love with Christ and the sacraments in a new way that I'd never experienced before. And that that falling in love with him began to to shape, you know, transform my life on every level. And I began to really ask him, you know, how do you want me to love you and serve you? And you know, really ask that question with my with God's will for my vocation. Mm-hmm. And I always had this desire to be a wife and a mother. But then as time went went on, I began to wonder more and more, would that mean giving my life to him as a sister? Like, would he want me to give up everything that way, you know, to be in love with him as his spouse? And so that time at Notre Dame was the beginning of just the very beginning of falling in love with him in the church and in the sacraments and beginning to discover the joy of giving one's life to him, like his giving one's time and gifts and and intellect and all of these things to him and praying to know him more and then also praying to be used for his glory however he would see that fit and so that was the beginning of that at notre dame i would say Mm -hmm. through blessed mother 
Absolutely, Our Lady's University, right? <laughs> what a what a blessing to truly, uh, truly to have her advocating for us and praying for us and accompanying us the entire way through through so many of these discernment stories. Now, this trip to India when you were seventeen and and meeting Mother Teresa's sisters was that your first encounter with women's religious in, in a community in that way? And then how did that lead later into thinking about religious life with this Franciscan order? When I grew up in Duluth, there was a, a Benedictine monastery of sisters. And my dad, the ophthalmologist, he saw most of them as his patients ah. and he would tease them, prof- <laughs> tease them profusely. But they were all older. It was an older community. Mm-hmm. And I never would have kind of envisioned myself there, you know, for my vocation. I was intrigued by them. And I I did spend time with the sisters a lot there, asking them stories about their testimony and their vocations and everything, why they had chosen to become a sister. But when I, at the age of 17, then went with the Missionaries of Charity in India, it was very impactful to see many young women Mm -hmm. and to see them living in conditions that were of extreme sort of self-gift to God in those circumstances. It was very radical to me. I was always drawn. I've always been... I think a lot of Notre Dame students tend to have the disposition of type A, high achieving, <laughs> high goals, yeah. best, you know, brightest, strongest, all these kind of things motivated by high goals mm-hmm. and achievements and all these things. I was really amazed by the heroic kind of manner in which they were willing to live out their life for Christ and in the service of the poor. Mother Teresa, though I did not meet her mm-hmm. during that time, I she quickly became my hero, and and I I felt as though she was a spiritual mother to me. I, in my heart of hearts, I really felt like how she was living her life was the ultimate way of serving Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I began to real. I mean, from that time, I really did sort of wonder, would God ever want me to be a missionary of charity? It was to me, it was like this ultimate form of self gift. And so so I, I would say it took. It took until when I was 27 and discerned to enter that Franciscan community. It took me from the age of 17 until 27 to finally like come to peace in terms with the fact that that was the only way to love Jesus. I mean, at least being the type A sort of driven personality of like, I want the best way to love Jesus, you know? (laughs) And it took me that long to be like, okay, I don't think that's that specific, beautiful, magnificent, glorious form of self-gift to Jesus is not the only, it's not the way he's asking me to give Mm -hmm. myself to him. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such an important point because we can sometimes delude ourselves into thinking that, well, there is only one possible path towards holiness or one possible testimony of of a saint. And when we look at the lives and the stories of the saints, we realize oh my goodness, they came from so many different backgrounds and walks of life, and they did inspire people in their time, but they inspired people to then discern with God what was someone else's vocation to do, and to not put any any particular vocation or, or way of life on a pedestal to the exclusion of others, but rather to kind of look around, I think, in admiration and, and looking for inspiration from others, but realizing that our individual vocation will be that, will be individual by time and place and circumstance, and that that's okay if our life doesn't look exactly like a Mother Teresa's or a John Paul II, but to say, I have to listen and understand what God is calling me to. 
Yes. And so I would say, so I just turned 40 and I feel like I'm just, just (laughs) starting, just starting to begin to sort of respond to the question interiorly of who is God really created me to be, you know, this transition into marriage. I got married when I was 33 and, and, and then the transition into motherhood and has been a just tremendous kind of stretching and growing and, the transition from the convent back into the laity and then into the vocation of marriage, mm-hmm. like just the exterior life changing so dramatically to what it is now. It's been a beautiful process. It has taken me a long time by God's grace to move from who I think I ought to be for God into becoming who he's actually created me to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so my whole kind of journey with God and searching passionately, desperately and passionately as a young person, like find God's will for my vocation. I think it's wonderful to have the, the desire. And we see this so much in young people, the desire to just glorify God and like pray for your vocation and everything. But I have to say, I, I think it's great disservice to Christ and the church to place the emphasis of a vocation when people use the term and say, and we pray for vocations as though the call to consecrate life and celibacy in the priesthood is the only kind of vocation. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a there can, there can still be like a great confusion on that versus the fact that that upon every soul that God's created, there's truly a call. There's a call to be in union with with Christ for all eternity. And that on earth, there's a way that he's created each one of us to love and to be loved according to the way he's created our soul. And he wants us to be able to discover and to choose, freely choose to say, I want to love you, Christ, and to give myself to you in this way and i'm going to live out my life and my vocation to grow in love for you and with you and and for your glory and use me you know however you see fit for souls but let me just reflect your love in the body of christ the way you've created me to love and to be loved and and so rather than it being just this thing like i spent so many years of anxiety i mean i would say honestly from the time in notre dame when i was like 20 (laughs) until i was 33 Uh so much anxiety of i want my vocation when am i going to have my vocation am i ever going to have a vocation like i was so scared as though the only way i was going to really ultimately love god was going to be until I like arrived in my vocation and I I just wasted so much time and anxiety (laughs) where all along all he's wanted in the first place was for me to literally grow in union with him Mm -hmm. know him like know his love receive his love the way he created me to receive his love and ultimately now it wasn't his will for me to receive his love and reflect in the body of Christ as a religious sister like espoused him in that witness of consecrated life that was not what he created me for he created me to be a wife and a mother and that's the way i i'm blessed to be able to receive who he is and to be able to reflect his love to those around me and oh it's just it's such a freedom and a joy to realize that there is not one way for that to be lived out it was a real grief for me Mm -hmm. you know i was in love with him and i was very ready and willing to you know love him the rest of my life being married to him as a sister i loved wearing the habit every day i just loved i got to wear my wedding dress every day it was so awesome got to pray all day all these things you know but it was a real grief to be like this is this is not the end of the story or the end of the road or something Mm -hmm. like this is he's gonna ask me to keep following his footsteps for my life by taking this drastic turn and and discovering 
more deeply who it is like who is he asking me to be for him you know, like in him and and to have to have the courage to be able to put that all back in his hands and take that leap forward of further self-discovery in him and then receive the gift of that desire for vocation to marriage and motherhood well if i could could return i just I don't want to miss one point, and it's uh, being at the convent, loving it, but then having the courage to leave, because I think that that can be deeply unsettling when all of a sudden we seem to be on one trajectory, but through discernment, we, we then switch gears. So what was it about your life of prayer and your relationship with God that allowed you to say, this is a beautiful vocation, but it's not mine? It was only by his grace. So I would, so here's the context. So the gift of music, I knew it was a gift from him. It was his call for me to be a music missionary for that whole period of time. And it was a joy to be his instrument to help, you know, reflect his love to souls. And so before entering the convent, God, you know, often for his will in our lives, he can be he can really shut doors or ask. He, there can be great sufferings that he's doing like out of love for us and out of mercy yeah. for us in order for us to actually know who he is and to be able to do as well. And so in those couple, the year and a half prior to entering the convent, I started having vocal pain that was inexplicable to the doctors. There was nothing wrong with my voice, mm. but I had so much pain that I had to stop in the middle of this album I was recording about Mother Teresa, my hero, and all about her yes to God. I had to stop recording in the, in the studio in Nashville. We had the whole thing done except the vocals. And month after month, I had to cancel everything on the road for a period of a year and a half because my voice wasn't healing. It ended up becoming like this sabbatical year in which God was asking me to surrender entirely back into his hands, like the whole ministry that he had kind of gifted to mm-hmm. me. And it was very painful. And, and so when I entered the convent, it was with the understanding that I was not going to ever record an album again or be on the road as a music missionary or something as a nun. And it was so painful, but he was, it was his mercy to help me begin to understand like that the gift, that gift and and what we do for God is not ultimately who we like are in God. And okay, so he asked me to surrender it back into his hands. And so that was a really critical thing to prepare me for motherhood as well, because if I had gone from kind of this super upbeat sort of ministry into like this hiddenness of stay-at-home motherhood, I would have like a total identity (laughs) crisis. And so, so he stripped that away and it was his mercy because it helped me to just, he didn't give me a choice in a sense. He helped me to understand he wasn't, he literally just wasn't allowing me to even sing. And it was interesting because as soon as, as soon as I sent in my application to the sisters and after this kind of year and a half of sabbatical of visiting all these different religious orders then my voice began to heal from the time, those few months between that that application and entering the convent. And then he let me rec- finish that album and record the Prasumi album like the week before I entered the convent. Huh. It was all about kind of that yes to God. And I thought that'd be the last thing I ever did. Yeah. Now, ironically, it took the publishing company, it was almost two years before they finally released it. And they released it, sent it to every vocations director in the country, all, all the bishops. Mm-hmm. And it was precisely at that time that I was discerning it was God calling me to leave. And it was very, very humbling. It was humiliating. It was very scary to me. Like the devil just really filled me with a deep fear that, oh, look, Danielle, like you want to inspire others to follow God and live for God and give their whole life to God. And now like you, they just have this album come out, your testimonies in there about entering religious life. And now you're going to leave and you are going to be such a scandal. Mm to those who are, you know, wanting to, to live for God. 
And now that was such a lie because the most courageous thing that we can do for God and the best way that we can help anyone else to do God's will is for us to have the courage to actually do his will in our own life and that it doesn't depend on someone praising you or or booing you. It, it has to do with what is he actually revealed in the interior that no one else can know. How did I know it wasn't God's will mm -hmm. for me to stay he was very, he made it very difficult, <laughs> like physically. When I was in the convent, I had a really bad chronic insomnia. It got worse and worse um, as the time went on in those two and a half years. And at the point that I finally discerned, so they, the doctors put me on a bunch of different sleep medications. Mm. I was having horrible kind of side effects because a lot of the insomnia medications are like anti-anxiety or depression mm -hmm. kind of meds as well. And I was getting kind of all the side effects that were on the label. I would get them all. Mm. So I was having suicidal thoughts. Mm. It was very dark and difficult. And I was ready to, I thought it would be just, the name I had received in the convent was Sister Rose Therese. So I thought that I was called to kind of this hidden life of sort of suffering. I was, I thought I was just going to be kind of just very miserable physically for the rest of my life. And that would be just what God was asking. I was ready to do that if that's what he wanted. But it was so interesting because after that point of the suicidal thoughts, starting with the meds, the doctors took me off all the meds yeah. and the community asked me to start going to see like a counselor. Yeah. And the counselor started asking some questions that were very, very scary ones for me. Like, what if God would call you to marriage? What if, what if you are still supposed to sing for Christ? Mm. What are the desires of your heart? Yeah. What do you want? And now what I had been trying to do the whole time that I was there was surrender my desires of my heart mm -hmm, to Christ, mm -hmm. like for him. Like I was trying to like give up my desire for marriage. I was trying to like give up my desire to do music for him. I was trying to like do all these things that like I thought he had made so obvious, like I couldn't sing, you know, and he made me surrender it. I was trying to be like obedient to all these things. So it was so confusing. Like how do I sacrifice my desires? And then how do I like listen to my desires for God? And so it was seemed like opposite. Yeah. But anyway, I had to start asking those questions of what are those desires? It was so scary because I thought, wow, if I'm trying to really let those desires speak, then is that going to be like a betrayal of what God's asking me to do to sacrifice for him? And ultimately, my formation director in the convent, the in you know in the novitiate house and she she came with me to one of my sessions and then she kind of heard my heart kind of crying out about all these things we'd been talking about you know for two and a half years in spiritual direction there and and she was finally able to see very clearly like god gave her this glimpse to see that it was not in fact that i was unwilling to surrender mm -hmm. it was because god wasn't that's not what he was doing in my spirit he wasn't actually giving me the grace to to sort of sacrifice and surrender all these things that I was willing to give to him. It was like he he wasn't doing it. It was it was this deep sort of lack of peace. And she could see that I needed I needed to step away. Mm -hmm. And and so we thought I was going to just take a break from the community, but we found out that in the novitiate, the, can, the canonical novitiate, if you take more than two weeks away from the community, it's considered an official departure. Okay. And so it was very clear that it was God's will for me to to depart. And it was so interesting because this peace that I had been praying for for the whole two and a half years of the time there with these surrounded by these beautiful sisters, this life of just beautiful prayer and contemplation and joy and, and joy that many people have no idea like is in the convent, you know, it's, it's so much laughter and all these things. Mm -hmm. And But I didn't have that sort of that deep, deep peace to know in all my being that it was where I was meant to remain for the rest of my life for God. And so then when I finally had this surrender that he was asking me to actually leave, mm. it was so much scarier than coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, I think there is a sense of, 
of true discernment is a discovery of what what would bring me the most joy in the sense of not in a selfish way, but of who God has created me to be. And sometimes there's surprises in that discernment that, oh, that's not exactly what I expected would happen, but there's also a peace in having really fully discerned something to be able to walk away or walk into something else saying that, I, I took I took a good long look. I, I lived that life, and it, maybe I got confirmation. But in your case, it sounds like I got confirmation of something else, and which led to marriage and to motherhood. My vocation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that you've been. He gifted me with my vocation. <laughs> it was like successful discernment. It was a discernment, right? You'd go, you enter, you just go to discern God's will, and He did. He answered that prayer. He did give me discernment, and the answer was a no. Mm-hmm. And it was a successful discernment, and that led me to what the yes really was. There's so many no's for us to be able to discover what the real yes is to God, and and so I'm so thankful because. I don't regret at all the decision to enter because it was it was such a gift. It was such a gift for, for me to discover that he's the one that alone can satisfy the desires of my heart and, and that ultimately for this vocation of marriage that he did call me to and that he put that deep desire in me for that it's a vocation of total self-oblation. It's a it's a gift, it's a gift of self. And we lay down our life for Christ in a radical way by being willing to spend our entire our entire life for the sake of the other, your spouse primarily, and then if that love is to be fruitful in the flesh, in children or through adoption, where you begin to pour out your life for children that, that way, it's a, it's a life, it's a vowed life, like the same way in the convent you make your vows and there's poverty, chastity, obedience, and you live out those vows in your community. The vocation of marriage, we get to live out our, our vows for the sake of Christ and for love of him alone, but we do it by serving our, our spouse and serving our children. And and it's very hidden and it's, it's so hidden in, in a similar way that I think is for all these kind of contemporary religious communities, it's it's all these kind of simple little hidden things like in the home that no one sees and knows. And in fact, many times even your spouse has no idea mm-hmm. what those things are, but God, God sees them and he knows them. And they all are having an impact on the body of Christ as you live out that, that role. Well, and I think that's one thing to intellectually understand that through your discernment towards engagement and it's another thing, and, and thinking about children, and it's another thing to live into those vows of being married and then, God willing, children coming along and all of a sudden dying those little deaths of you know our selfishness going away and giving ourselves to another person and other people in a way that we really may have not understood up to that point we had the capacity for. So have there been any moments like that where you have said, okay, I'm really, I'm really living my vocation now. Oh my goodness. So I would say there have been some serious growing pains for me into the vocation of marriage. And I think much of that comes from the experience that I had in the convent. And then also the, some of the misconceptions that I've had of what does holiness looks like, look like exteriorly, uh-huh you know, what is radical holiness and love kind of look like? And, and so in the convent, the, the exterior of the life was one of clear kind of structure with prayer mm-hmm. and all of these things where it was the holy hour, you know, mass and all these things. And like, even the time at Notre Dame beginning when I was a sophomore and then until, till becoming a mother, I was like a 
diehard daily communicant. Mm -hmm. Every plane ticket I booked for a concert, all of it was like around daily mass, hardcore like daily mass and holy hour where I'd be like, I'd rather die than not go to daily mass. And that was, there would be priests that would come meet me at airports to celebrate mass. I mean, it was like, I was so fierce about that. Mm -hmm. And so, so then you, then you transition into what it's like with uh, a little baby where you aren't sleeping. Like, I mean, I had chronic insomnia before, so I know it's like being tired, but you could still take a nap sometimes, uh. you know, like with chronic insomnia, <laughs> but um, with children, then um, you can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. Mm. There is no nap. And unless you hire a babysitter to let you nap. <laughs> and then um, even the children will come in the room while the babysitter's there babysitting while you're napping. Right. <laughs> so the whole exterior of my life like shifted dramatically where, you know, all of these things that I had kind of what I thought, like, this is what my love for Christ should look like or my prayer life should look like. And then it all kind of just got totally obliterated mm -hmm. into my tr transition to to motherhood in marriage. And it was it has been really like very perplexing to me, to be honest, like it's been really some deep growing pains to have to discover again for the first time and kind of rediscover what prayer even is and who Christ is and what he's even after. Mm -hmm. And to, and, and I would say, honestly, I don't have the answers for this, Dan. I really don't. <laughs> like I am totally discovering this now. Yeah. I really am. I'm just starting. I just turned 40. We are just starting. But I feel like he's, he's helping to begin to realize for the first time in my life that after all these beautiful parts of the journey, it's like, he just wants me to be with him. Mm -hmm. And he just wants me to do everything with him, everything. And he really wants me to do it out of love for him. And that, and that all these things that I try to do out of love for him and with him, that I can't do any of it as a gift for him without him actually sort of doing it in me. Like my own sort of lack of capacity to make it a gift has never become more evident than the ongoing piles of dishes that happen all day every day i i loathe it's like i've had to just i had to sort of discover this sort of loathing in myself of this sort of like i told my husband and my spiritual director lately you know since i was 17 i used to say i want to do small things with great love and i thought it was so novel and beautiful and i was like really thought that that's what i was doing i would try to do all these small things with great love mm -hmm, all the time mm -hmm. you know if the airplane stewardesses or whatever host family or something writing letters and then like then I discovered that the only thing I actually could do was a bunch of small things mm -hmm. for real, all of it. And then I was like, oh, wow, I don't really actually know how to do them with love at all. I kind of I kind of want to do a bunch of great things, not a bunch of small things, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the time with Christ is in the people of your husband and your children that if Christ is in them, as we believe, and in your love towards and service towards them, you are encountering Christ. Your life is a prayer in that way. It just it just looks very different, and it sounds like that that has been uh, an important lesson for you and something that I think will inspire a lot of people because a lot of us, I think, can feel trapped in the ordinary, but your encouragement is really important in that Christ is in those things as well and in those relationships. And it's important to, to do those small things with great love, as you said. So Dan, this is one thing that going back to this whole thing of what I, the type A, the commonality of sort of type A, like driven personality of Notre Dame yeah. alums or students, right. yeah. <laughs> go big, right? And so like, I want to like go big for God. Like I want to have this radical life for Christ. And 
so for me, like when I when I began to know that Christ was really in the Eucharist and it was like the source and summit of our faith and it was this ultimate kind of expression of his self-gift to us, I was just, I'm never missing a day ever until I die. Yeah. You know, I was like, I'd rather die. And then it was after like 18 months of dragging Agnes to mass, daily mass, This she's my uh -huh, firstborn, uh -huh. after like 18 months where I literally would spend like about... If the mass was 30 minutes, like 29 and a half minutes, like outside of the church, like with her, you know, and she was cranky. She wanted to eat. She was she was missing a nap or she was like hungry for her next meal. And then finally, God was just like, Danielle, you want me? Do you want to show me that you love me? Um, There's a sleepy baby. You can have her let her nap. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a hungry baby. You could feed her a really nice lunch. Mm -hmm. And I began to like realize that though there was this kind of ultimate way that I thought like, this is the ultimate way to say, I love you to Jesus. It was like, he was helping me to understand that the most powerful way to say, I love you to him was to do his will, like in the moment that he was revealing, you know, that, that fidelity to his will and that surrender and that self gift to him, like in whatever he was asking me at that moment, that was how I could really say, I was saying, I love you to him. And it's it has taken a very different form than what I thought. It's like I thought he wanted me to love him like by getting married to him the rest of my life as a sister. Nope. Yeah. I thought he wanted me to love him by being like that mom that like drug all her kids to daily mass every day, like in her long jean skirt or whatever, you know, and like <laughs> that's not what he's asking for me, you know, and all these things that I all these ideas that I've had in my head of what I thought holiness ought to look like. And he has just been showing me over and over that that's not been what he's after. The irony of the convent for me was that although it was sort of this hidden sort of convent, it was this very public sort of like <laughs> accolades. Yeah. Oh, the, you know, a girl that goes and she's holy or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and now it's wonderful because he knew that would have been a terrible, terrible fertile grounds for some serious pride for the rest yeah, of my life yeah. that he was like saved me. He saved me from that by letting me be gifted with the ordinary mm -hmm. and, and the ordinary in this state in life has been such a tremendous gift because as I have had to move from the glories of the Adoration Chapel and the glories of the altar of daily mass and sort of the Holy of Holies and, and, the, and the fanciness and the best and the greatest sort of form of Jesus. And then he's allowed me to actually come and be with like sort of the dust and the poop of Bethlehem. Right. He's helped he, in, in that, in all of these little humble things of the children in the bath and the dishes of, you know, on the counter of Nazareth and all of these things, he's gifted with me with the opportunity to, to begin to discover who he actually is, which is mostly all of these little things. And then some of it all together, you know, put into this, these glorious things, but the glory that he has, you know, in the Eucharist or in adoration is the sum of all of these multitude of infinite little things that he is and that he is in and with, and, and that I would have never ever discovered had it not been for the gift of this marriage vocation to marriage and motherhood where it's an immersion in just only little nothings. Mm -hmm. Well, and that kind of encapsulates the whole purpose of this podcast is hearing from people in the ordinary, in the everyday, in various vocations and states of life, discovering Christ anew, discovering their own call to holiness in the way that that God has crafted it for them, and to acknowledge that it happens in different ways, and it often happens in, in hidden ways and, and ways that are surprising for us. So as, as a way of closing, I think you've, you've answered well um, what we often ask people is, is how you're discovered and are pursuing holiness, but I think people might be interested, 
What do you see possibly, uh, knowing that, again, there's that openness to God's will, but what might the future look like for you, both in terms of your marriage, motherhood, and even the gift of your music? Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful question. Mitchell and I are so excited. We are like so looking forward to the rest of our lives, however long God lets us live on this earth together. We are so excited to keep growing together with him. We're I feel like we're both being, we're helping each other be healed of so many of our own kind of wounds and weaknesses Mm -hmm. as we grow together authentically. And it's been so beautiful, like moving into almost year seven of marriage, marriage is so much more wonderful now than it was in the beginning. With motherhood, you know, we have these three beautiful children. If God, we pray God will let us grow our family. We pray to keep welcoming more children. That's not up to up to us to decide if he has blesses us with more children in the womb. If someday he asks us to adopt, we want to just be open to welcome life. However, he wants us to respond to that. So we don't know, but we are just praying that he'll grow, keep growing our family, whatever that looks like interiorly and exteriorly. And then as far as, as far as the gift of music, I have to be honest. So when I transitioned out of the convent and then before I met Mitchell, I recorded this culture of the culture of life album was recorded in 2000. 2011. It was before I even met Mitchell. And and then when I entered into marriage and motherhood, it was such an interior, I would say it's been such a deep interior transition in my relationship with Christ that it has been a time of deep silence, mm-hmm. a, a, pain, a painful silence. And, and so just this past year has been the, I guess, the, the rediscovery that in my relationship with God, like I actually have to, I have to write music for my relationship with God to be alive. And with motherhood, because it's so consuming, I've had to realize that I actually like have to, you know, we're, we're homeschooling and I'm home with these three little ones and Joseph is screaming on the monitor right now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he's waking up from his nap, but I, had to like sort of humbly accept that like I needed to have a babysitter come once a Mm -hmm. week and have a little bit of time for some writing. And so I started doing that and my goal, so I always would go work on albums with these different producers in different places. And we live quite close to to Nashville now. We're in Birmingham now for my husband's job. Mm -hmm. And so it's only like a three hour drive or something, but I can't go do road trips to Nashville. So, so here's what, so God, I'm going to try to write and make an album from home now. Mm-hmm. And I want to, my, my, my sort of dream is to do an album called Mama Stary and have it all be songs about marriage and motherhood and kind of this, the beauty and the gift of the, this call of this hidden life for Christ, like in this vocation of marriage and motherhood. It's very exciting to me to be able to, um, to rediscover. It's the first time in my life that I'm writing songs out of my vocation that I was always searching uh, for. Yeah. Which is a perspective you didn't have fully before. I never did. And so, no, I've, all these songs I wrote about marriage or motherhood or holiness, all these things, loving God and the little things. Now I'm actually living the vocation and rediscovering and maybe discovering for the first time, like, what does this even all mean? And then now there are many new questions and many new discoveries. And and so I'm I'm excited to be able to to express that for God, for me to be able to know who he is in the middle of all this this beautiful, this beautiful, mysterious yes that he's invited me to say and to proclaim for him and with him. Well, we will join you in prayer and excitement that that happens because I think that would be very inspirational to a lot of people who could relate to a lot of the lessons that I'm sure you'd put into words and just your 
beautiful gift and ability to, as you said, express the desires of your heart in a musical way is, is such a gift to so many. So, Danielle, I just want to thank you for spending time with us today, for getting the babysitter and uh, getting a little bit of time, giving us a little bit of your time, because I think it'll help people who may be in similar situations or trying to make sense of their own life and vocation in a way that, that you've shared with us. So thank you very much. I will pray for that. And I, I pray in a special way today, Blessed Mother. I pray for every person who may be listening to this this time of reflection that no matter where they find themselves in their their state in life, whether they have found their vocation, quote unquote, so if they, let's say they longed to be married or to become a sister or a priest and they still haven't kind of found that sort of answer, or whether it's someone who has entered a convent or a seminary and then discerned to leave, or maybe it's someone who is struggling in their marriage or marriage that's been broken or annulled, or a young person who's praying God's will for their vocation, Lord, I pray that you would in your deep mercy and love, that you would help them to know that all you're asking right now and all you're ever after with each one of us is for us to be able to receive your love right now in this moment and to be changed by it and for us to come deeper and deeper into union with you right here in this moment and that you will take care of the rest with each step at a time, that 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 self-gift are laying down of our lives for you, whatever shape that takes in the body of Christ, whether it be hidden or glorious or small or whether we understand it or not, that it would truly be the way in which we're brought into union with you for all eternity, that this life on earth is just this little reflection of that, little reflection of our union with you forever and ever. And so help us live out that yes for you today, wherever we find ourselves. And that we would do all of it for your glory, our prayers, works, joys, and sufferings. And that we would be changed by your love. And that we would love you as you ought to be loved by us giving you all of our being, most especially our weakness, where you could come and dwell and fill us with your very your very being and presence and your love. And we ask, Mary, that you'd help us to do this as you did it so perfectly, so beautifully. Help us to not be afraid of the mystery of this yes as it unfolds. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, through Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Well, I couldn't have said it any better myself, so thank you again, Danielle. That concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. Before you go, though, I would like to let you know about Danielle's website, daniellerose.org where you can find out more about her music and ministry. For the time being, know of our prayers for each of you, and we close now with Danielle's beautiful song, Mamastery. Consecrating
smile.